Okay, amazing guest in studio with me because we live in the same city. Another YouTuber, photographer. Um, we actually we actually have a lot in common, which gives us a lot to talk about. But I've got Irene Rudnick here. Hi. <laughs> I'm super glad you could uh, join me in person. This is this is fun. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I'm not that good with talking, <laughs> uh, especially if it's not like pre-recorded because you know English is not my first language. So bear with me if I say something funny. But I'm gonna try. Well, for anyone wondering, what is your first language? I'm Ukrainian. Oh, okay. so I've lived there for probably 18 years, and then I moved to Canada. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of similar to to my wife, I guess. I can actually speak a little bit of Polish. Oh wow! Cool. Yeah. I can do. I can speak a little bit. I understand Polish completely, and I can read because I lived uh, pretty much almost on the border uh, with uh, Poland, uh, very very western Ukraine. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> east or like Eastern Europe in general is amazing. We yeah. really want to spend more time there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so anyway, anybody that's not familiar with Irene. <laughs> Her YouTube is amazing. You do like behind the scenes in tutorials. So just kind of helping people learn mm-hmm. how to get better at their photography. And you've got almost 300,000 subscribers, which is awesome. I can't wait to break through. And, uh, and 200 on Instagram. Yeah, which yeah. Which is so cool. And yeah, like I was saying, I, th- I think a lot of people don't even realize we're in the same city <laughs> because Calgary isn't a big hub for like creative output. True. But. Which is very sad. Hopefully <laughs> it's going to change. I feel like it is changing now. Like I've seen a lot more creatives coming up mm-hmm. like on Instagram, not on YouTube, but especially on Instagram. I've seen a lot more photographers, makeup artists, and just uh, in general, like content creators mm-hmm. coming up in Calgary. So I think the biggest challenge is having them not leave. <laughs> when true, they succeed, right? True, because I've I've had that cross my mind a few times. <laughs> See, I knew you were thinking about it. But I mean, a great example that nobody ever knows is Calgarian is Feist, mm-hmm. who is massively successful internationally. And I think if you asked a lot of people where's Feist from, they'd say Paris. Like I don't know, she she's traveled a lot, spent a lot yeah. of time in different cities. Yeah. But no, she's Calgarian. Yeah. This is what happens to like big Calgarians is they go get big somewhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, we like we like it here. Anyway, nobody else same. is from here, so nobody cares about Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I feel the same way. My family is here and I love to travel, so I'll just stay here and travel yeah. for content and, you know, other yeah. things. It makes business. it easier to stay. Yeah. yeah. So Tell us a little bit more about your YouTube for anybody that hasn't already subscribed. Yeah, so you can find me on uh, YouTube by just typing in my name, Irene Rudnick. I think I'm like the only one with this name (laughs) on probably any social media, which is kind of an advantage, but also people forget or don't know how to say my name properly. And yeah, I make uh, weekly, I guess, kind of educational videos and I try to make them fun about photography. There's a lot of behind the scenes videos, uh, a lot of Photoshop tutorials. I would say I describe my style as kind of um, feminine natural light portraiture. That's what I like to call it. So I work with natural light, very minimal equipment. Everything is very, very simple and very stylized. Right. And I, I mean, I think there's also a bit of like a fantasy element. Yeah, like, totally. It Fairy feels tale, a little fantasy. otherworldly. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, I, love, I love making my models look like they're fairies, princesses, <laughs> mm-hmm. some kind of perfect creature. <laughs> well, and describing it only does so much justice. So, you know, you should go yeah, cl- check out click in the show to, notes and take a look at yeah, the, uh, the Instagram On Instagram, feed. or if you want to view better quality on 500px. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, and I think people should because they're they're very well produced. And also uh, tutorials are part of it, like post-processing stuff. You talk about Photoshop. So yeah. you're mostly a Photoshop user yes, instead yes. of Lightroom. I, or... I pretty much never use Lightroom. I used to use Lightroom when I uh, did weddings because, mm-hmm. you know, editing a lot of pictures in the same way. Lightroom was perfect for that. But for the kind of work that I do now, I mean, I spend probably around 30, I don't know, 15 to 30 minutes per each image. So I just edit everything in Photoshop. That, that still baffles my mind. I couldn't imagine living without Lightroom because I spend so much time right. in it. But so how many photos from a shoot do mm. you end up using? Because that might be a bit mm-hmm, of a difference mm-hmm. of how we work is like, I'll use, you know, I'll, I'll shoot for a few hours and I need to get 30 photos out right. of it. I'll shoot for around two hours usually, hour to two hours, depending on, you know, how much time the model has and if the light is still good because sun goes down mm-hmm, pretty mm-hmm. fast and I like to shoot golden hour. Yeah, you're in the wrong city for natural light. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, N- not because it's cloudy for anybody that's not here. It's because the t- yeah. Uh, yeah, we're north. And yeah, the days it, it disappears very quickly. Yeah. And I'll do around probably a thousand pictures during a shoot. And then I'll choose probably around five to 10 images from the whole photo shoot that yeah. I'm going to edit. So how do you make the selections then if you're not in like yeah. a bridge? Or? So for me, I'm one of those people that already has a very clear understanding of what I want in my images when I start the photo shoot. So before I shoot... In my mind, I already know what it's going to look like, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, So I will usually come up with a pose that I really, really like, and I'll shoot that pose for a bit. So I'll take maybe like 100 pictures of a very similar pose, and then I'll go through those images, and I'll pick the one that is most striking to me. So yeah, just very simple uh, selection. I know that Lightroom is good for that, for like rating the images, but I'm very, I know exactly what I want in a picture. So I'll just open it in my regular like photo viewer. I'll just go through the images and I'll just open the one that I like. All right. I mean, yeah. If it works I, for you. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I clearly know exactly what I want yeah. when I'm looking through the set of the images. Right. So it's usually, I don't need to like pull up 10 images and rate them and then see which one I like the best. You delete your rejected images? No, almost never delete them until I like run out of space and then I delete. Eventually. (laughs) Yeah, eventually I'll delete the images from like last year or something, but I try to keep them as long as I can. Although I never go back to them. I never, I'm not one of those people that like revisits old images and edits them. Yeah, I always Um, think I'm going to, but but then I, (laughs) yeah, same. Yeah. And there's, there's always photos. I mean, some of our, uh, our, my favorite photos we've taken were from Croatia, Mm-hmm. But it was a, it was kind of like a personal trip. Mm-hmm, we weren't mm-hmm. there for work. We didn't yeah. have like a bunch of, of client work to do. So the images from it like weren't a priority and they didn't really get edited. So I posted a few Instagrams, mm-hmm. got home and mm-hmm. then left them and they're just sitting there. So I don't know. I even have travel video from it. I didn't do anything right. with it, but I don't know. That's the, yeah. I, just saying someday I got to go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as like some other like workflow things go, when you are in Photoshop, mm-hmm. do you have specific routines that you always go through yeah. and use actions? I do. Yeah. And I feel like I really need to start watching some other Photoshop tutorials because I feel like I've used the same exact technique for so long now. And um, 
I probably need to upgrade some things. And I've always, I'm always learning something new in Photoshop. That's why I love it so much. There's like hundred ways of doing the same thing, but right. sometimes you'll find something that's a little bit quicker, a little bit better, you know. But for me, I open the image in Camera Raw. So that's the Lightroom part. I just do it on camera raw. Right. I mean, for anybody that doesn't know, it's the same raw processing in both. Pretty like much. It, yeah. yeah. It looks exactly the same as Lightroom. It has the same sliders. Yeah. So I'll do a little bit of adjustments in camera raw, some white balance. Um, I always do the clarity just a little bit to make it just punchier, a little mm-hmm. bit more con- like uh, sharp. Um, then I'll open it in Photoshop. I'll do my skin retouch. I'll do a liquify. I usually make the hair bigger. Uh, if I need to make the dress look bigger, a little bit crazier. Can I stay um, on that for a second? That This mm-hmm. is just a photo tip for any guys out there that I didn't really realize until I started working with a, a woman yeah. on it all the time. It's like, Women never really want their hair to be smaller. No, they want it bigger. <laughs> and like, this isn't intuitive to guys that like bigger hair is a better thing. And but, it changes um, the picture know. so much. Mm-hmm. I just, I do it to literally every single picture. Even, um, I have this one lady here in Calgary that does amazing hair. Um, she's Russian and she knows how to do like the biggest hair ever (laughs) so she'll do it crazy but i will still go with the liquify and make it even bigger (laughs) why not yeah yeah liquify tool for me is a big part of making the image look more like fairy tale fantasy Mm -hmm. right because you want to make it look unreal exaggerated exactly so i'll go into liquify i'll usually i i never really do features and stuff like that Uh, the features are the same unless one eye is smaller sometimes that happens but yeah it's usually hair and the outfit i'll just make it bigger but you're not doing uh you know like fairy eyes where they're uh, anime size. No, (laughs) not really. Uh, I'll do that with dodge and burn. So I'll... I'll, Like contouring. Exactly, exactly. So I don't really have to make the eyes bigger necessarily, but with dodge and burn, I'll kind of do like, yeah, like you said, contouring. So it's going to look bigger. So what are the basics of post contouring because it's, it's not mm-hmm, really something mm-hmm, i do so mm-hmm, where where on the face are you yeah. looking how do you judge um, where to do it so i and i totally get that for guys it might be a little bit harder because yeah, it, it is. is very similar to makeup <laughs> yeah it's all about the illusion and kind of tricking the eye with the light and the dark if you don't know where to put it the easiest way to do is is to just look where it naturally already exists so for me, I'll just look where I naturally get a highlight on the face and I'll just like amplify it, mm-hmm. just make it more noticeable, if that makes sense. Just like the hair, just more of what's already yeah, there. Exactly. It's yeah. And it's all very small little changes. It's not like going in with the dodge and burn. You mm-hmm. have to be very subtle with these things. Same with liquify. It's all about the subtle, subtle changes that will make a difference in the picture. You want to make sure that it doesn't look too fake right. or too weird, yeah. you know? But yeah, that's what I'll do with dodge and burn. I'll naturally, if you look, you're going to have some shadow under the cheekbone or under the lip. That's the one thing that I always do. A little bit of the shadow under the lip will make the lips look bigger Mm. because that creates the illusion that the lip is so full that it creates shadow underneath it. Same for the eyes. Uh, You can put a little bit of the shadow underneath just right here to make it look that the eyelashes are so big that they're casting a shadow underneath. That's, That's a good one. I don't know. Either of those, never thought about uh, it. Another thing that I'll do with dodge and burn, I'll go with burn and 
I'll make the brush really, really tiny and I will literally go with every single eyelash and paint paint the eyelashes darker. Mm -hmm. And same with the eyebrows. I'll go and create like little feather strokes on the eyebrows. Well, let's scale back a step. <laughs> let's let's go back to the, the basics. Because I think right. what is appealing about what you do is that technically your work is super achievable. Yeah. You know, people it's probably easy, yeah. already have the gear yeah. to do something mm -hmm. that looks like what you mm -hmm. do. So much of it is the, the creative direction and the uh, styling, the makeup, like things that you're doing on set. And then, mm -hmm. you know, afterwards there's this post-processing as yeah. well that enhances it all. Exactly, yeah. But like, how did you kind of find that look mm -hmm. that, you, that you do now? I was actually thinking about it. Like a lot of people ask me, why don't I shoot with male models, right? Or why do I, why do I like to do what I do? And when I was a little girl, I was really into Sailor Moon. Mm -hmm. I was really into everything that's very girly, uh, Barbies and all that stuff. And I always loved to play dress up with them. And I feel like that's what I do now. <laughs> I feel like this is just like a grown up version of playing dress up with models now. Full size Barbies. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. And I, I absolutely love doing it. So yeah, when I was little, I just always enjoyed also drawing like female characters that were very beautiful. So yeah, that's that's I think that's why I like to do it so much. And um it's just fun for me. I, I've loved I've always loved fashion, makeup and hair. So yeah, it's just something that naturally I love and um yeah, it just brings a lot of fun when to you, the work. When you're shooting with natural light, you know, it, it's sort of easy to say like, oh yeah, just use the light that's available to mm -hmm. you. But how do you identify when natural light looks good? Like there's mm. a lot of things I, that took me time to really yeah. see the difference oh, between good and 100%. bad natural light. You know, um, I, I was just, um, I had my first workshop in Brazil and it was such an amazing experience. And I think that that, that really made me realize that number one problem that photographers have is not realizing what what is bad and what is good light. I've had some of the students in the class take a picture and then be so excited about it and they show it to me. And it's the light is absolutely horrible. Like the posing looks great. Everything looks great. But the light is the most important, one yeah, of the most yeah. important and things. You forget about those other things. The light's terrible. It doesn't matter how good the posing and the wardrobe <laughs> oh, and everything else was. Yeah, you just it ruins see, the whole picture. Yeah. And so they would show it to me and it has this like horrible dappled light across the model's face. And for portraits, I mean, that's just a no-no. And I would be like, no, the light is wrong. And so I would literally just turn them around the model, right? I would just put them two steps further or back yeah. where the light is good and and show them. I'm like, do you see that this is way better light? And they would be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's a big challenge is to like start to know what to look yeah. for. I mean, maybe a simple example I could give that you, you can kind of see is is in the shade. Not all shade is created oh, equal, right? So what can be really helpful is to not only look at that the sun isn't directly falling in that area, but look at the objects around you. Mm -hmm. And um, so, for example, a lot of the time when I'm walking, uh, if I notice white vans or white cars, mm -hmm. that's not a bad place to stop yeah. or white walls. Yeah. Anything we'll that's going to bounce that light yeah. back is completely going to reshape it. And this is why some cities are much better for photography than others. Calgary is, it's okay downtown, mm -hmm. but what's really great is, this is why like New York or Paris are so insanely beautiful is because the buildings and the architecture are all reflecting this amazing light back into people. 
So there isn't a lot, like in New York especially, there's not a lot of direct light. Like the it's getting blocked by buildings, but it's bouncing off of windows and it's wrapping around corners. And by the time it hits somebody, it's been diffused in 10 different ways and then sharpened on a certain, you know, like it, it becomes really dynamic and interesting. Yeah. No, for sure. And what I recommend people do is... Because if you just don't realize what good light is, or maybe you don't really have the understanding of how light reflects yet, (laughs) Um, what you can do is you put your model and you just literally circle around her. You can take pictures. Or him. Or him, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Or an object, whatever Mm -hmm. you're photographing. You can just circle around and see how light is different in different spots and then just kind of figure out what you like the best and what looks the most flattering. That's what I used to do when I just, I didn't understand how light works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it takes a while. It does. I mean, I'm just going to throw out some more examples of like, if you're on standing on grass, all the light that's bouncing is coming from a green source. You get green light coming back in their face. Their skin turns oh, green. That just gives me flashbacks to shooting yeah. weddings at noon <laughs> in the park. Yeah, it can be a and huge And having challenge. them all look like green people is... Oh. Yeah, totally. And then I think what can happen, the first response is like, okay, I'm going to go get a reflector. That's going to solve my problems. But then people can end up with this really artificial, either gold or silver mm. or bounce that... You in all I see when I see it is my reflector, reflector, reflector. That's why I don't use a reflector. <laughs> yeah. They're rarely, I will yeah. rarely use a reflector. I think from what I can remember, I used a reflector in one of my videos uh, where I shot indoors, but I used a window as a backdrop. So kind of shooting backlit indoors. Mm-hmm. And because there's not much reflecting when you're inside of the room from the window light, that's when I put a reflector, but it wasn't even doing that much anyways. Right. Like it's kind of... Well, or I think more often, like it's easier to get started with a reflector if you are shooting headshots. Like the less of the person that you see, the smaller the reflector can be and still be useful. Yeah. But if the reflector isn't bigger than your subject, it doesn't illuminate the whole subject, right? So if you've got kind of a standard reflector is what, like three or four feet across, it's only really going to light their face. And, you know, maybe down to their neck. Yeah. And um, for me personally, I find that I'm just, I'm a small girl, you know, I don't like carrying things with me. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> this is probably one of the reasons why I do shoot natural light is I don't see myself carrying a, a tripod and a strobe and the battery and uh, a modifier, all of that stuff. And I mean, not even... If I'm thinking, if I would, I would have to use probably like two or something. I'm definitely not doing that. Right. I'm not even bringing a reflector because I feel like that's already like something else that I have to worry about. So I would much rather just shoot a little bit underexposed and then bring some of the exposure back in post with just layering a mask and exposing the model a little bit more in post. Well, so I think this is a lot of why people, I'm I'm guessing here as an outsider, but I mean, I'd guess a lot of people connect to your work because they see something that is amazing and really impressive to them, but potentially achievable. Like it's Mm -hmm. within reach without spending. Yeah, you don't need a team. You don't need an assistant. You can really do this with like your friend, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do shoot within... A nice lens. With a nice lens, yes. And the lens is expensive, for sure. 
But you can definitely achieve a very, very similar look with a cheaper lens. Well, and I don't want to have cut you off tell, in case somebody's <laughs> dying in suspense, which lens it is. I So I use the Canon 85mm 1.2. Right. That's my absolutely favorite lens. Uh, I've had this lens for probably like six years. And the lens that I have is an older version of it. So it's like a Mark One, oh, I think. Okay. And I did buy it used because at that uh-huh. time I was still at the university. I wasn't making much money. I was just just like working part-time at um, at the mall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I remember I really, really saved up like for probably a whole year to buy this lens and the camera. I kind of bought them almost at the same time. Well, you've sure got your money's worth. Now. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's, it's a really good investment. I've had it for so many yeah. years and I'm really happy with it. I don't feel like I need to upgrade. It's a great piece of glass. Well, and I want to put a disclaimer in for anybody that feels like now they need to start saving for their 85 <laughs> 1.2 is I've got the 85 1.8. And I've mm-hmm. shot I've shot with yeah. the one you're talking about a few times. I used to be able to mm-hmm. borrow it freely. And then I also had the 51 too. And they're amazing, but you can get most of the effect without it too. Mm-hmm. Like the, like I was saying, the 85 1.8 is less than half the price. Yeah. And it's not the same, but you can get most of the way there. Like a lot of people wouldn't realize the difference. So again, like you don't need to No, to 100%. Have and you know, so... I just recently uh, worked with Kelby One on my classes. And one of the things that I put in there was I brought my old camera, my very first camera, which was a Canon XSI. So it's a crop crop sensor. It's very cheap right now. I mean, you can buy it for probably like $100 or something. Uh, so I brought that camera and I brought my 50 millimeter 1.8. Again, a really cheap lens, I think like $100 or something. Oh. And I did some kind of comparison and kind of showing that you can get a very, very similar image with that setup. And actually, I mean, once you put the 50 on, the crop sensor kind of becomes an 80 millimeter. So the images looked very, very similar, especially when you're shooting indoors and you don't need that much depth of field. Like if you're not looking for that very creamy bokeh, it looks almost identical. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize when they go out and buy a 50 millimeter as their first lens is how much it, it, it does zoom in, that it becomes kind of a portrait lens yeah. more than a more than a normal lens mm-hmm. like 50 millimeters typically like a normal focal length but when it's cropped it becomes more portraity but do you do you ever shoot wide like do you kind of take do you take photos that aren't in your style much anymore or do you know you kind of like that's what you shoot so it's the main thing that you do I have a Sigma 35 millimeter 1.4 lens, which I really, really love. And uh, I used to use it for weddings a lot, for events a lot. I've actually shot one of my favorite images on it of uh, this model Vlada mm-hmm. on Lake Louise. And it's one of the probably the most, I wouldn't say famous, but one of the most liked images on my Instagram. You could I, say yeah, that. It's Insta not famous. famous. Yeah. I mean, it has a beautiful Lake Louise in it. Right, and you know helps, that if, yeah. if you put Lake Louise, it's going to get some uh, a lot of likes. But that one was shot with a 35 millimeter. And um, if I do want to put a little bit more of the environment in the picture, I'll definitely do the 35. But I will still rarely use it, like right. very rarely. I did one project when I was traveling in Israel where I shot um, girls on the street. Again, this is kind of a post that I did that 
I don't know, not that many people cared about because it's a little bit out of what I usually do. But I, I loved shooting those portraits and I shot them with a 35 because, again, I wanted to show more of the environment mm-hmm. uh, with the girls in there. I always have this struggle of not being able to really like stick to a specific style. And I think you actually follow what is commonly given advice of getting to know a lens really well. Like you've kind of taken it to an extreme where I think a lot of people keep jumping around forever and always feeling like they need a new lens, but like mm-hmm. you've really dialed in this specific one. And I mean, I feel like I've gone more in the opposite direction. I I used to I used to shoot more similar to, to what you do now aesthetically with a lot of blurred background. And I've definitely moved to a lot more wide images, a lot more in focus. But I always have a hard time locking into a specific look. And part of it might be our our difference in approaches as well. So for me, a lot of my work is for clients. Like I'm doing, it's like commercial photography. And it's kind of how I've always looked at it. That's a bit more of my background. You're shooting more for yourself yeah. and Social like for media. ideas that come yeah, to your mind. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that difference? Like, does it frustrate you the idea of, of executing other people's ideas? Like, well, for me, it was always a goal of mine to be able to shoot in this particular style and make money. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason why I ever shot, let's say weddings or other people, or I've done, I've even done some like actor headshots and model portfolios I've done events. I've done it all, really. But the only reason I did those was because uh, I wanted to make money somehow of doing photography. And when you're starting out, you really just, you're going to do pretty much anything. Well, I did, at least, just to make money. And I really wanted to, I guess, show my parents that I can make money of photography. But it it was always a goal of mine to be able to create these kind of images that I'm passionate about and make money off of it. I never really knew how I'm going to do it, but I always wanted to. And I feel like, you know, being on social media, I guess, like an influencer, content creator really made me kind of achieve this goal. And now I can really photograph whatever I want and post it on social media, post it on YouTube. So yeah, yeah, I don't work with clients and I'm really happy no, about it. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've kind of had this idea stewing in my head for a while that my background with photography is less from a purely artistic perspective where, you know, I've always thought of it first as a, as a profession kind of as a way to make money and less of a traditional like pure art or, or fine art. So I had this analogy and I'm going to test it out on you and you can tell me if I'm crazy or not of, <laughs> of that, like there's this difference that if somebody's a a painter and they're really talented at it, and they're going to try to help you become a great painter. They couldn't hover over your shoulder and tell you, okay, now move the stroke, like stroke the brush three inches to the left, move it up to the right. And then in the end, you're going to have a great painting. Whereas on, on the other side in photography, somebody could do exactly that. They could hover over your shoulder, say, you know, set the aperture to one point, whatever, and lift the camera a bit and hit the shutter and you could kind of achieve it. So I don't know, this is this like that that's, I don't know. I just arrived at that recently of, of thinking about that. Um, that might be how I ended up approaching it the mm-hmm. way that I do. And I totally don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Like this isn't even an argument. There just are different reasons that people shoot and different categories yeah, of photography. No, hundred percent. And it's photography is so unique in that way because it is like half art and then half technique because there's so 
much of the technical aspect that goes into it. And that's where a lot of people clash because you're always going to get these people that are more artsy, artistic, and that care more about that sort of aspect of photography. And there's a lot of people that care more about the technical side of photography. Right. Mm, I actually always get comments on my YouTube channel about the technicalities because I understand that I do a lot of things in not the most right way in quotation marks. And yeah, I totally get it. It's just that's the way it it works for me. That's the way I learned it because I learned it just by kind of doing it by trial and error. I didn't really have a mentor. I never went to school for photography. Everything I learned was kind of by myself or by following some of the YouTube tutorials. But even tutorials that I followed, they were never showing exactly how to do what I do now. So I just kind of learned some things from them, like what is aperture? (laughs) What is shutter speed? Or some basics of like editing in Photoshop. So... Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought. Photography is just weird in that aspect. Well, I think it's becoming more and more common to have learned that way too. I mean, I'm I'm sort of similar of not having had technical or like formal training, but yeah, I I think the like the only downside of of doing the path where you're able to make all the decisions yourself is then it's a challenge if you end up with a client asking for it to be a really specific way. But I mean, I think you're navigating that well by defining your style. So if people approach you and they want to work with you, they have a pretty clear idea of what they're going to get. Exactly, exactly. And I've had that before where a client wanted something very specific that I just don't do. Mm -hmm. I could probably still try to do it, but the thing is that I don't want to. I don't want... Uh, work out there that doesn't represent what I do. So yeah, if when I used to work with clients, if someone wanted me to do something that I don't do at all, I would just tell them, I'm sorry, but that's just not something that I do. Uh, Let me recommend you something that someone that I know that would be a better fit for you, you know? Well, if I could give some advice to all the clients out there, look at your photographer's work before you hire them too. I mean, I think sometimes it's really strange when you hear like, I I always hear from the photographer's perspective, but that they're hired to do something and then what they're asked to do is nothing like what Mm -hmm. they typically create. And, you know, if you you need a really versatile photographer that is able to execute Mm -hmm. many different styles in different ways, then, you know, look for that body of work and that's who you should hire. But if you're hiring somebody that clearly has a specific vision and, and a way of shooting, then embrace it, you know, and let them do their best work. Cause you know, if I, if I asked you to shoot wide uh, architecture, you know, on a <laughs> yeah, tilt shift would... lens, like <laughs> probably not for me. And I've had actually a little debate uh, with this, another photographer on this. And he was, um, cause he is, um, I'm not going to say his name, but (laughs) some people are probably going to guess who he is, but um, doesn't matter. But he asked me, what if a client, because I do shoot natural light, and the debate was that I can still shoot 100% natural light and get work and get clients. He was saying the opposite, that if you shoot 100% natural light, you're very much limiting yourself and you're not going to get clients. Mm -hmm. Pretty much... He was trying to say that a professional photographer uh, cannot be shooting only natural light, which there are instances where you will need some kind of artificial light, but it really depends on what you're 
doing because I managed to work with a lot of clients and make money shooting with just natural light. But what was the trying? I don't know. But I, here, I lost it, my train of thought. Holy. I, I think I think what you're doing that could inspire other people is that like it's it's the idea that becomes most important, like that you're able to follow through on a vision that you have at the beginning and really like create a world within the image. Right. Whereas if you're just like, I'm going to wander outside today <laughs> and hope I've come across a great photo, you're not going to come across Irene's photos. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so much of it is putting that pre-production time into, and like, I can't take the credit on on my photography for that because Anya, my wife that I work with on, on most things, she does all, the, <laughs> all all of that. But it's something that I think a lot of people that, you know, if you're out there and you're a technical minded photographer and you are thinking about the gear first, which is okay. I mean, I'm inclined to be that way. It's really worth it to spend some time looking at whatever it is you're worst at. And same with, uh, you know, I would encourage people that uh, have Irene's approach of being, you know, not enjoying the technical thing. Just, it's good to, you know, take your medicine sometimes and do your homework and like, okay, like one weekend a month, I'm just going to watch tutorials (laughs) for five hours. Oh no, 100%. I mean, it is part of photography so no matter how much you don't like it you're still gonna have to learn it you can't I mean if I was shooting with my lenses and my cameras and like shot everything on auto I mean that's just not taking it as far as I can you know what I mean like you really need to still know some of the technicalities it's it's really I mean you can take it really far and know every little thing about your camera I mean but I find the people that take it really really far aren't creating the best work out there. Yeah, You know, true. there's not a lot of, typically the most technical people aren't the most creatively successful people. Yeah, yeah. Know? Yeah, no, that that is very, very true. Yeah, and then a lot of creative people are not good with like, let's say, business side of photography. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. We And then a lot of more technical photographers are really good with that. Marketing, um, business, numbers, that kind of stuff. And I definitely fall under the category of those people that don't know what they're doing when it comes to business. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning for sure, but it took me a lot to really figure it out because I'm one of those people, I just want to create. I just want to have fun and, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to deal with numbers and that kind of stuff. But at some point, you're going to have to. Yeah, of course. Well, and maybe speaking of, I guess, like uh, YouTube started to become a bit of a business for you. Yeah. Like this is actually, it's not just photography. You're able to be more selective about your clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, first of all, congratulations. Like, it's really exciting to, to see somebody I know, you know, doing so well at it. And a little bit of background on on us when we met. Yeah. Uh, you had just not quite started. I, I don't know. We couldn't quite agree if you had just started YouTube. Or I you don't ha- remember. Yeah. And I don't remember how long ago it was. I feel like I'm going to have to go into my Facebook and like look at the year of those it sh- pictures it should be that are posted. 2013. 2013. So yeah. yeah, I probably just about started doing it, started doing my YouTube and, yeah. and Instagram. Yeah. And I so badly regret not... Cont- uh, I was, I was tweeting about this the other day. I'm like, should I even talk about this publicly? Because I'm like... <laughs> I, but I stopped doing YouTube for years. Like I had it eight years ago and then I just like stopped I think I saw some do you still yeah. have them yeah, on yeah, your yeah. channel the, right the I think there. I saw them yeah yeah and they did like well at the time I yeah. mean so that all that time ago I had 5,000 subscribers which was amazing I was like oh my god 5,000 <laughs> is, is crazy and now people get a lot bigger than that but I, I just always wish I had pursued that the whole time but but now we're at a place where I think there's it's it's more clear how YouTube can start becoming 
a business to people, you know, but I don't know. Do you have like any kind of visions for how you're going to make it a bigger part of your life? Mm -hmm. Like, would you ever do YouTube videos that aren't about photography or is it all going to be photography based for you? I'm actually, so I have another YouTube channel. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I've seen it. It's, (laughs) you should not (laughs) look it up, but uh, I'm going to work on it this. I'm going to really try. I I always say I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But then my main channel becomes, I mean, I try to post twice a week, which is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So that becomes too much. And then uh, I kind of fall through with like, not posting on my other one but it's called irene vlogs (laughs) and i used to do vlogs on there but they were so boring they were really boring vlogs and uh then i started doing some cooking videos because um I'm vegan, so and I really love food, and I love cooking, and mm-hmm. I've done a lot of uh, Ukrainian recipes that are like veganized. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking maybe this year I'm gonna continue with that. So making cooking videos, um, lifestyle videos as well. One thing I, I what's become my alternate channel for me is Instagram stories, mm-hmm. um, and like so I've been shooting them like vlogs, which is so much easier to do on a phone than with a big camera. And I keep telling myself, I'm like, maybe I could just start making YouTube videos like this. You should do it though. <sighs> you know, okay, I talked to- I just you. don't feel like it'd be good enough. I feel like the quality wouldn't be high enough. I See, that's your problem because you're, I can tell that you're one of those people that's like, a, you're a perfectionist. And because your videos are really well put together. Mm-hmm. They're, they're beautiful. They're like, you know, the cinematography, the editing, everything. I'm like the opposite. If you watch my YouTube videos, they're like the most poor quality ever. <laughs> you know, it's just like me by myself, filming everything by myself, just literally by putting a camera on the tripod. I'm more of like, I just want to put out content and just kind of showing people how easy it is to do what I do, right? Yeah. And I feel like you're, you're a perfectionist. You want to make it look beautiful visually and then also have like a lot of information in it. Well, but it's kind of this thing of like, I feel like I get stuck with, if that's the reputation that I build subscribers on, then I'm right. stuck with it. And I don't want to always put that much work in. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you can always just experiment and see how the your audience receives it. Yeah. Uh, because... I've had so many different videos on my YouTube channel and they always do differently. Like I have a mix of a lot of things because I do sometimes like crafting videos and DIYs. And uh, at some point I did think, should I make them? Because my channel is about photography and the DIY crafting stuff. I know that some people are not interested in it, but I still put it out and there is a chunk of people that are interested in it. So I just say, just go for it. Just go for it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Try it out. We'll see. But I mean, the, the, the stories thing has been fun. Have you been doing? I'm really bad for doing Instagram stories because I feel like my life is so boring. <laughs> my stories would be just, it's always my dog. Maybe you're cooking. It can. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not that good at it. And I feel like I'm going to have to put on makeup and do my hair to do it. <laughs> well, being in a smaller than a not huge city, Calgary's mm, yeah. 1.3 million. Mm. How many people are here? Um, so, you know, we're not New York or LA. How do you feel connect? How how is it to connect with the YouTube community? Because you know when you watch people that are really plugged into it, that are living in the major hubs, they're able to collaborate with a lot of others that are in the same groups as them. I mean, do you feel removed from YouTube <laughs> I, because of that? Or so yeah, I definitely feel like maybe if I lived in LA, I would have more opportunities for sure, and maybe I could grow my channel 
faster. But I do like living here. Me too. I love, I do like how kind of slow it is at times because whenever I'm in LA, it feels like a lot. You yeah. know, I'm doing a lot, I'm meeting with a lot of people. There's like people are always very focused on social media and YouTube and like doing all this stuff. And I like to be, I'm a little bit more of a lazy person. I like to like chill (laughs) a lot of the times. So what I do is just, I will travel. I'll try to travel to LA like once in two months, maybe go there for a week and just really collaborate a lot and film a lot of videos there and um, create those connections you can really collaborate people by being in different cities as well. You can do little videos together by being apart. I haven't done that yet, but I do want to do it with a few people that um, I just, we cannot not, travel. So you're not in the same city as them, Yeah, you're, you're not still in the same city. Let's say you can... I've had this idea a little bit, but yeah. I don't have an, I don't know what I would do. There do you is have a, a lot specific... Of, there's is there a lot a, of things you can do. Is there a template for it? I've seen some people do Photoshop tutorials together. So let's say they'll collaborate on something like, let's say we would collaborate on something like that. Uh, you would edit my picture and I will edit your picture and kind right. of see how we take, um, how it would look different with different editing styles. Cool. So something like that. Yeah. Or uh, I had an idea to collaborate with a friend of mine that's also a female photographer. And there's a lot of funny stories that we had about being a female photographer. So we had this idea for a while on doing like a satire little video (laughs) (laughs) with her filming her part. Uh, She lives in Ireland. Mm -hmm. So she would film it there. I would film it here in Calgary and we would put it together in one video and it would go either on her or my YouTube channel. Cool. So yeah, you can definitely collaborate with other people. It's yeah. You can do whatever as, yeah, as do long what as you, you have uh, the well, passion for I mean, it. Podcasts make it a little easier because you can just call somebody on Skype. Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of been my version of it. Yeah. But I mean, I've thought about that. You could do, you could do the podcast. So double ender is when both people record their ends mm-hmm. and then you edit them together mm-hmm. as one audio file. So that's like kind of a, podcasting term, but you could do that with video as well, where you just set up an interview style camera for each person and just put a fake pair of eyes across the room. So you're looking at a fake person, <laughs> line up the eye lines, and you could just have a conversation back and forth where you're actually talking to each other and the video just cuts back and forth. Yeah. I think that'd be interesting. You can totally do it. I, I think there's no limits. Like being online now and having social media, you can connect with people all around the world and you can definitely collaborate. Have you done any of the shared Instagram stories? No. I really like this idea. Oh, oh of Instagram Live. Sorry, uh, like where you both. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've done oh, actually let's... one where I guested like the people, the followers, and it was oh, a lot cool. of fun. Yeah, yeah. I should try that. That's fun. Yeah. We should, when I, this ends, let's do a live to promote <laughs> yeah, this show. Yeah, we should do it. I I was doing it with Jessica Kobesi. I don't know if you watch her YouTube channel no, or if uh, you know of her. Uh, she has blown up on YouTube now. She has around 80... Uh, 800,000 on YouTube now. Mm -hmm. And she's just, I mean, she is like the perfect everything for YouTube channel. She is funny, like really funny, uh, just naturally funny. I'm not like that at all. She is um, super creative and really talented as a photographer. So like putting it all of it together is just like entertainment and photography together. So it's, yeah, she has some awesome, awesome videos. But we were doing a live stream like that together because um, we often travel to LA together mm-hmm. to collaborate. And um, it's easier for us to just get, get an Airbnb um, and we're kind of in the same spot. But yeah, we were doing the live stream and she was just concerned that maybe... 
there's might be some weird people that we're gonna guest, <laughs> but it was really awesome. Worked out okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, we just made sure that we, I kind of recognized some of the. But like that's what's getting crazy about it is how men how much potential there is to do stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, also YouTube just opened up their webcam streaming, so you mm-hmm. can like instantly live stream. I'm really thinking of starting. I have one room in my house that's kind of right now kind of an office that no one is using i'm thinking of making it my stream room and streaming like once a week Mm -hmm. for like an hour or something yeah cool i've been diving into instagram streams like Mm -hmm, i don't mm -hmm. know a couple times a week but they're always pointless like (laughs) the challenge with live is you need a purpose for it to be live to me that's usually uh, engagement with the audience that you're gonna talk back and forth with each other because otherwise why not pre-produce it right so i think you kind of like find that excuse yeah, I don't know. So I, I was also wondering what it's felt like to have your, well, I was going to say YouTube girl like that, but social media in general, like, has it changed mm-hmm. your day-to-day experience? Like, do you find your, does it feel all consuming sometimes? Is it change mm-hmm. your relationship yeah. with your creations? I guess sometimes I feel pressure to always come up with something new and something that is better, but I do a lot of yoga and meditate. Good idea. <laughs> Just calm myself down another thing with social media is that you see all of the other people maybe having better pictures than you doing better than you and that will make you feel some type of way Mm -hmm. but again you just have to understand that you know comparing yourself to others is not going to do any good and you should just focus on yourself focus on your own work so i really try to kind of understand that um very easy to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that it is hard, but I feel like that's why I like living here in Calgary. Because when when we were when we were in LA, it was funny. We were walking on the street, and some people recognized us, like mm-hmm. me and Jessica, which was really weird and awkward. <laughs> uh, but here in Calgary, no one cares. Like no one knows who I am, you know. So I like living here. It was and, really like, funny for me when I, the last time I went to LA, the day we arrived there, oh. I just put out a video that was shared on a lot of photography blogs. Like it was one of the videos that went further than most that I create. And there was in all three parts of the city we went to that day, a different person (laughs) recognized me in the morning and like, that's really fun. But I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. Like the first times those happen, because it it makes you realize what really matters in life. Cause you're like, Oh, this is like the smallest tiny bit of what fame means. And it really doesn't matter at all. Like it doesn't change anything. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's mostly just like, oh, cool. Like now I can have a conversation with somebody about <laughs> photography for a few minutes. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. You, YouTube is, is, is weird for that. Like it's. It is. Being YouTube famous is weird. I mean, I'm by no means YouTube famous or anything like that, but just in general, it's a mm-hmm. weird yeah, thing. Well, for people that are, <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, it's, it's also funny because like the people that, are my biggest celebrities that I'm most excited to ever meet or see. Not many people probably know who they are because podca- I'm more connected to podcasts. Yeah. That's what I spend more time with. And I, it's funny with podcasts too, because you don't even know how big a show is, right? Like people True, listening to this don't know any, how many people like listen. Yeah. yeah. And my favorite shows, I don't know if it's 5,000 people listening, 100,000 people, 500,000 people. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so it's sort of this weird difference of that that relationship. And it's also funny how I think that might shape how people perceive the people they're following. Like, I always think it's weird when people write to me on, um, you know, well, hey, if anybody wants to message me, do, uh, just <laughs> at me on Twitter. 
but sometimes they'll be like, I never thought you'd respond. I'm like, really? Same like, thing, because th- <laughs> I respond to everyone pretty much. I mean, unless it's a stupid question yeah. or something like, hi. Like, R- I don't, I don't right, really right. respond to that. Unless there's nothing to, to say, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I sometimes, even though, like to a compliment or something like that, I'll just like leave them a heart on yeah. Instagram and they, they're always to, so surprised. Yeah. And I'm like, why? I'm just like a person that does Instagram. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. But I think it's also hard for people to imagine the differences of scale because like the difference between 100,000 subscribers and a million mm-hmm. is sort of more than 10 times in a way, right? Like I think once people start getting like a million plus, two million then there can be such a flood of 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 yeah, it's content hard to, coming in that they can't to keep, keep up. up with comments and if people messaging you and i've had some people get really mad that i didn't answer to them but again if if they are asking me something that it's already answered either on my YouTube channel or my Instagram right. i just don't bother right yeah. or if the the question is just kind of like can you give me some advice? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's why I like this podcast because now I have these, I have a few episodes that are about really specific things. Like we did the one with, with Chris Nichols from the camera store, another Calgarian. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we're talking about like, here's everything you need to know about buying a camera right now. And so every time somebody's like, which camera should I buy? I'm like, I don't, I do not have time to figure it out for you because everybody's in such a different situation. Oh, of course. But I can direct you to this one hour conversation where I dove into it pretty deeply. Exactly. That's why I never recommend anyone any cameras because, well, first of all, I'm not a technical person. I, I'm the worst person to ask (laughs) what camera they should buy. I always just tell them, do your research. I mean, it's pretty easy. You just... Just go to the camera store TV. Exactly. uh, (laughs) True, that's true. They have reviews on literally every single camera gear that you can think of. But I mean, as long as you know your budget and what you're going to be shooting with your camera, that's, I mean, you can find your answer online. It's all there. One piece of gear I know we both share, so we can talk about for a second, is is lights. I've seen that you've been using LEDs a little bit lately. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same one that I've got. It's actually lighting us in this mm-hmm. moment. It's the Aperture 120D light. Mm-hmm. And I've been really excited about these because to me, it's it's changing what, you know, especially affordable lighting can be for people because there have been constant lights that look this good before with HMIs, for example, that are, you know, daylight and you can make them really soft by modifying them, but they are they were crazy expensive. You know, like a Joker, which is one that I used to rent from the camera store, was um, uh, $5,000 uh-huh. for kind of something mm-hmm. quite similar. And now we're at a point where these are, you know, well under $1,000. Yeah, and I was surprised with how powerful they are because I the only other, like, I guess, continuous light that I've used before were some ring lights. And uh, a friend of mine that's um, George Dutch or preset guy on Instagram, he makes his own uh, DIY ring lights. And I've used his and they're great, but they're not nearly as powerful as the 120D. And this this is what I like about it is that you can really, I mean, it's not only for film, you can definitely do it, uh, do stills with it. Like I I shot some really cool pictures with it. Well, and I love that you can do both. So especially for YouTube, yeah. all of a sudden you can be taking your still photos with it, but for your behind the scenes, it's all lit just as well, yeah, which is really true. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love how neutral they are, like you just mentioned, because I'm really into the color of my images. So if I don't have to, you know, play in white balance for like hours trying yeah, well, to make it look good. And I've got to say, all <laughs> LEDs are not created the same. I also have some Luma Hawks mm-hmm. that are older and cheaper. So I don't know, maybe the new ones are better, but these older ones are so magenta. They just don't match daylight. So 
if if I shine them in the same room that's being daylight lit, it looks totally wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you're mixing the light, you can't even correct for it. So I've never actually tried mixing it with natural light. The only time I've shot continuous was always oh, okay. in a dark room right. where it's the only light source. Maybe I should try to well, do that. Well, you're, you're lucky that you're getting in <laughs> at the point where now, right. all of a sudden it's good. It used yeah. to be bad is, yeah. is what I'm saying. But then, I mean, you're talking about brightness. There's also the 300 d that I kind of want to get that too. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of want to, yeah, yeah, I want all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, want all of them. I know. I just got, they just sent me their um, mini kit. Oh, cool. Tell the, me about that. They're just these little mini spotlights. So it's kind of like the, it looks like one, like, 120D, mm-hmm. but just very tiny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and they just have little barn doors on them. So um, I'm actually going to be doing a really cool photo shoot with them very soon. I'm styling everything to be uh, like 50s, 60s, old Hollywood type of theme. And the model is going to look kind of like Marilyn Monroe or like some kind of actress. <laughs> cool. And uh, I'm going to shoot it on film as well. Is there an easy way to modify them? Or they, they're more like a traditional yes. hard light. Yeah, and yeah, so they are. You could put like diffuser material over it yeah. but you can't attach like they're so small you can put they, a softbox on not it not right? in the kit yeah, yeah I no it's more of a spotlight type of thing where uh, let's say for videos it would be cool to put it kind of spotlight the background maybe uh, like behind the person that's you know kind of like in a the halo video. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that would look kind of cool with those type of lights for me I specifically wanted them again for that old Hollywood type of look because I'm gonna put one spotlight specifically at the model's face where everything else will kind of fade into darkness cool. you can also kind of use it as backlight right kind of rimming the the model um i've done that as well i kind of tested it out a really nice setup i saw the other day is like something i think that people don't think about till a little later in their photo careers is just worrying about catch lights like you can light everything else and sometimes the best lighting that you arrive on like you're like the the person looks perfect but all of a sudden there's no light going into their eyes Mm -hmm. there's no reflection Mm -hmm. in it and i saw a really nice setup the other day that some interviewers had where they had a small spotlight like that and it was just blasting into a small piece of foam core so they closed the spotlight all the way so it's a very narrow beam and so all it's doing is from a few feet away there is something that is bright that mm-hmm. reflects in the yeah, eyes. So yeah. only the eyes really see it and it's not lighting up the face. It's not affecting the, the overall light much. much. You just, there's some things you can see. Yeah, there's so many things you can do with them. And it, the kit came with all sorts of like different clamps. So you don't ha- you don't even have to use a tripod with it. Oh, you cool. can literally clamp it onto anything. Yeah. So you can put them anywhere and just really play around with it. It's it's really fun. We're, we're in an age where lights, lights and lenses are way more exciting than cameras now. I mean, I am excited about a camera. I'm excited about the Sony uh, a7 III now and probably the a7S III is going to be cool too. But we're getting kind of close to like peak camera. Yeah, true. They're all kind of doing the same thing. So for me, it doesn't even matter what camera I'm going to be using. It's more about the lenses and the light and the image for sure. Yeah. Okay, well... Thank you so much for joining me, Irene. And uh, can you spell your name out so people can find you online? Uh, so it's I-R-E-N-E-R-U-D-N-Y-K. So Irene Rudnick. And yeah, if you just type me in you'll on Google, whatever, you're probably <laughs> going to find me because I'm pretty sure I'm the only person with this first and last name. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube. Cool. Or you can click the link in the description. Yeah. Thanks again, Irene. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you.